Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. It's been nearly 2,000 years since the Rachni were wiped out, but the destruction they brought and the political ramifications of their expulsion still resonate to this day. Today, we'll be examining not only the origins of these terrible conflicts, but also the Krogan rebellions that were a direct result. Let's begin. Alright, I'm here on HI101 with Ethan Blesky. Hello, it's great to be back. I'm really excited to have you back. I'm also really excited to talk about this topic. I always have a have so much fun on this show. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good time, and uh, you always pick really interesting topics. <laughs> so, I mean, when you came to me and and asked about the Rachni Wars, that was uh, I don't know. I don't think anyone else would ask me about that one. So, well, yeah, I mean, we take it for granted, really. Everyone everyone knows a little bit about it. I get that, but there's some of the like some of the nuances. I don't know. I, I think it's really worth discussing, not even necessarily just to like inform people about like what happened, but also to maybe like discuss some of the, I don't know, morality isn't necessarily the purview of this show. No. But that doesn't mean that isn't necessarily something that is worth thinking about when we're looking back at historical uh, events and kind of assessing what happened, why the people who participated in those events uh made the decisions that they did things like that yeah absolutely i mean i mean everybody looks at the geth wars and they're, they're so shiny right yeah but but we we want to like yeah this, that this focuses more on the on the core citadel those those uh species right yeah yeah the the core races for the most part i mean well mm-hmm. some of the, some of the stuff is just so long ago that I mean, half the players that we're used to uh, haven't haven't even really made contact yet. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, as as humans, we've only been part of the uh, Citadel Council for what thirty five years or so. That's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, all, all of this is is pre contact. In fact, it's all you know more than more than two thousand years ago though, is is where yeah. we're starting. So, anyway, we might as well just like jump right into it. And I, I think when we're talking about the Rachni Wars, you can't really talk about the Rachni Wars without talking a little bit about the Mass Effect relay system. Yeah, absolutely. Or the, the Mass Relay system, sorry. Which, you know, as as most people are aware, is is a is a sort of network of devices created by uh, the Protheans, who we don't yeah. really know much about, but they, they went extinct long ago, kind of left these devices behind. And we're not actually entirely sure how they work, but we do know uh, that we can use them. And they are... Uh, uh, these these how, how would you describe them they almost look like um like tuning forks or something like that a little that. bit like that yeah and uh they're, they're they're enormous as much as as 15 kilometers long they have this huge core of uh of element zero kind of glowing there and and mm-hmm. basically what they do and, and a lot of people don't realize that this is what's going on but um two relays will actually connect with one another across hundreds even thousands of light years and uh using um element zero they actually create sort of a corridor that's basically mm-hmm. um, devoid of all space time. They, they, they make a, a link between them. And the, so the gravity between them is so strong in that corridor, in that very specific narrow corridor. Correct. But, but there's almost nothing within that corridor. There's nothing inside it, which is a really interesting kind of... Uh, Due to relativity, it makes sense. Contradiction. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I mean, a normal faster than light drive is going to take you... Well, you you run into relativity problems, you run into limitations on the technology, things like that. These will transport you almost instantly as much as, uh, you know, several thousand light years. Mm -hmm. Um, And and just in the blink of an eye, they're they're incredible. And so obviously we've we've only recently discovered these ourselves, but the Asari have actually been uh, traversing the... uh, 
the mass relay network for over 2,500 years. They, yeah. It's, it's been a, a very long time that they've been sort of exploring these, discovering where they go, how they work. Um, and they've, uh, they actually discovered the Citadel, which is actually the, the hub of the, 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 the network around the year 500 BCE or so. Okay. Yeah. Um, and established a, a presence on the, the station as soon as they found it. And the, the Solarians were the next to join the council, correct? Yeah, they actually found the, the Citadel about 80 years after that. 80 years, okay. And uh, yeah, so so about five, or sorry, I, I misspoke earlier, about 580 BCE, the uh, the Asari found the, the, the Citadel. It was okay. 500 CE that the Solarians found the Citadel. Okay. And the two races decided to form the Citadel Council at that point in time, which is actually a really interesting move because... Uh, so often, first contact between alien races results in in warfare of some sort. Well, I mean, ours did. Well, yeah, the the whole the whole incident with the the Turians was just, uh, you know, we're we're still getting over that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the the I, I mean, the the Asari and the Salarian are two very really like, really interesting races in that the the Salarians are so short lived, but also so um, logically inc- inclined, so mm-hmm. quizzical, so uh, they that they they tend to. Um, be far more interested in um, learning as much as they can about a situation before acting yeah. and, and not not acting in like bold overtones um, without better information. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, the Asari are kind of the other end of the spectrum. They can live as long as a thousand years uh, as an individual, which just seems mind-blowing, right? But yeah. um, for such a long-lived species, it, it tends to play out better to kind of take assessment of a situation first uh and and sort of uh plan for the future as much as possible rather than making brash uh short-term decisions and so despite the fact that they're very different um that that meeting was um fortuitous really really couldn't have gone any better Mm -hmm. um especially when the two decided to kind of uh, combine the best of each other and and work together with the citadel council yeah I mean, everybody knows about the founding of the Citadel Council. That's not really the important part of this story. What is important is that this whole time, these these two races have been uh, traversing these these mass relays, and and so far it's gone relatively well for them. But the the one thing that they found is that a lot of these relays are actually um, dormant when yeah. they get to them. They figured out fairly quickly how to um, how to activate them, same as we did when we found the the relay at the at the outer edge of our solar system. Yeah. but so many of them are dormant that they kind of didn't really understand why they were dormant yes. when they first started finding them and were kind of opening them willy-nilly, uh, just seeing what was on the other side, which, I mean, is perfectly understandable. There's a natural curiosity there. It was an age of exploration. Oh, ab- absolutely, yeah. They were <clears throat> they were opening up the, the galaxy for themselves. I mean, who wouldn't? But eventually, it kind of inevitably... All, it I backfired, know, I really. I don't. I don't like saying inevitably because you never really know for sure. But it it, it almost feels like with the the vastness of the galaxy, eventually, sooner or later, mm-hmm. something's going to happen that isn't really what they want to happen. Yeah. Around, actually, right around one CE. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, means nothing. Coincidences like this happen all the time. But around one CE, a Solarian uh, expedition opened a new uh, relay. Yeah. Uh, went through to find out uh, what was on the other side. And they discovered uh, a race that had achieved space flight, but had not yet uh, figured out faster than light speed. Okay. So they were somewhat limited, called the Rachni. Yeah. And the Rachni are much more alien than most of the races that we're more familiar with. I mean, you look at a Solarian, look, you, you look at an Asari, and... Uh, they're approximately the same size as us. They definitely have some common ground. Yeah, right? I mean, I mean, they're they're, they're bipedal. They have, you know, mm-hmm. there's enough features there that resemble our own. We're able to communicate with them uh, verbally, linguistically. Yeah. Um. There's there's enough of a commonality of experience there that it's fairly easy for us to relate to them, if not necessarily always agree with them. Yes. The Rachni are. They're they're a hive mind, are they not? Well, yeah, they they they're organized in in uh, broods similar to uh, almost like an ant colony. There's a queen. Yeah. There's a there there are workers. There are warriors all within this uh, this hive, and the the queen is is far uh, underground. They burrow underground. Mm-hmm. Um, the planet that they're that they're from is actually uh, tidally locked to the sun, oh. uh, which means that the one one of the sides of the planet is blistering hot. Mm-hmm. The other side is 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 completely frigid and there's a narrow band that runs right around the terminus uh that's uh habitable yeah 
So the only really... A, a twilight zone, if you will. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, the only way that they could actually expand on their home planet before they started expanding uh, was to burrow underground because that was the only place that the uh, that they could find um, any respite from the sun yeah. that wasn't exactly along the terminus. Yeah. So they, they, they evolved to... Uh, to burrow deeply, to uh, hide their queen away from, well, from other, other colonies, colonies initially. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the most important thing here is that they don't, or they didn't actually communicate in any recognizable manner. Like we couldn't communicate with them in any way. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't respond to any of our uh, attempts to uh, signal them with with sound, with visuals, mm-hmm. any of that stuff. What they did do was attack on site. They were incredibly aggressive. Yes. And really, the the Solarian explorers who found them had virtually no chance when they encountered uh, Rachni vessels. They they slaughtered these explorers. But then what happened was they took their ship and they reverse engineered faster than light travel from the Solarian vessel. Yeah. And as soon as they figured out how to go faster than light, they got themselves to a mass relay and they started spreading into council space. And and they're they're it was expansive there. It was exponential. It was yeah. uh immediate. It was difficult to describe just how quickly the Rachni spread into council space. I mean, the council attempted to negotiate, but as we talked about, there was like none of their None of their attempts to contact them, communicate with them in any way actually worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as both the Solarians and the Asari are opposed to warfare, except as like an absolute last resort, mm-hmm. it was virtually the only resort with the Rachni because yeah. they, they wouldn't even stop to attempt to communicate with uh, with the council races. They attacked on site and, mm-hmm. and, and left no... Like not there, there wasn't even a, a chance to to try. So all the, the only option they had was to fight back. Unfortunately, as we talked about, neither the Asari nor the Solarians are particularly warlike. No, both have military branches, of course. With the Solarians tending towards intelligence uh, work, right? Intelligence work, but also like subterfuge, like uh, um, yes. kind of uh, sabotage, uh, guerrilla warfare. Mm-hmm. You know hidden fade kind of tactics yeah and the asari i mean those of them that go into the military service are formidable they're amazing warriors but most of them don't really choose that path for their lives they feel uh more drawn towards a sense of community almost they're they're Mm -hmm. more interested in sort of furthering the intelligence the the um the cultural cachet of their of their civilization things like that so both know how to fight but it wasn't exactly their forte no between that and the sheer number of Rachni that were uh, that were appearing, because the Rachni bred very, very quickly. As, as yes. an insectoid race, they were laying hundreds, thousands of eggs at a time. And for for as many um, Rachni as, as uh, were killed in these battles, they just kind of repopulated themselves. Yeah. So they, they, they quickly began pushing back the council forces. This went on for nearly a century, where, where there was kind of this slow, controlled retreat by uh, by the council until very fortunately well at the time at least um in uh in 80 ce mm-hmm. um some solarian explorers discovered another race called the krogan ah yes yeah now the krogans are natural warriors they're huge they're at least seven feet tall yep uh often much taller they're three four hundred pounds easily they have redundant organs redundant organs it's it's amazing you you can shoot a krogan 20 times and he'll somehow find a way to soldier on i mean even they even have a redundant uh nervous system that's made up of a neuroconducted fluid rather than nerves so it's basically impossible to cripple one or to uh to to um to to paralyze one yeah um they're also, their culture is incredibly uh, focused on on warfare, on honor, mm-hmm. on battle, and on a very direct sort of battle. Yes, um, because it's very important to the Krogan that uh, that um, uh, they defend themselves and their families uh, in warfare. That's a major p- part of their cultural identity. Now, uh, am I understanding this wrong? But was their planet already in the grip of a nuclear winter? Yes, Tachanka had been. <laughs> Tachanka had been ravaged by nuclear war over 2,000 years before this. Ah. Now, when the Solarians found uh, the, the Krogans, they had not achieved spaceflight yet. 
they were essentially technologically uh, frozen because, as I said, uh, two millennia before this, their entire world had been devastated by a nuclear war. And it was so uh, it was so crippling that really they had just been fighting over a pile of ruins, uh, severely irradiated ruins that was full of uh, incredibly vicious predators uh, for the, the past 2000 years. So the Solarians did something that normally the council races wouldn't do. Uh, it's called the uplifting. Up, it's called uplifting. Yeah. Which means that they basically f- went to the Krogans and said, hey, we're an alien species. Here's a bunch of our technology. Here's a bunch of our advanced weaponry. Here is a bunch of our knowledge. We're going to give all of this to you, but can you please help us out mm-hmm. uh, against these Rachni? And the Krogans went, yeah, battle? Sounds great. Let's do it. Um, the biggest battle their species had ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's very, very true. That's a good point. They gave the Krogans a, a new planet that was, for lack of a better word, clean. Yeah. They also began work on uh, Tachanka uh, repairing the the uh, the atmosphere with a device mm-hmm. that they called the Shroud. Yeah. Which uh, which helped to kind of yeah clean out the atmosphere, the pollution that purify had been. it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the funny thing about the, the the Krogan is that they had spent the past two thousand years dealing with this nuclear winter, and they had biologically evolved to. Uh, compensate for the harshness of their environment mm-hmm. by drastically increasing their birth rate because they died in such large numbers just as a consequence of day-to-day life yeah. uh, from the well, radiation. from Such a harsh environment. Yeah. yeah, from predators as well as fighting each other. They were yeah. so warlike that they, they had a massively high birth rate. And when put in a, an environment where they weren't being killed by uh, corrosive pits of acid or you know these these massive predators Mm -hmm. um uh they 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 reproduced very quickly and within two generations there were countless millions of krogans already for battle that and their natural sort of hardiness their their um uh them being accustomed to such harsh environments allowed them to uh take the ground battle to places that the other council races hadn't managed to. They were able to storm Rachni nests and actually get in to kill the queen and not just a bunch of the, uh, yeah. a bunch of the warriors, which is kind of how the battle had been going before this. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the Rachni's worst enemy. They were yes. brutal. They were ruthless. They had no qualms about doing everything that they needed to, to, to win oh, those yeah. battles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and the Rachni were, were driven back. It took a long time, mm-hmm. but Eventually, they were pushed all the way back to uh, their home planet by about the year 300 CE or so. And the council races tried very hard to convince them to surrender. And they would not. So the Krogans bombed the entire planet from orbit and then put boots on ground, went into every queen's nest that they could find, yeah. With massive explosives. Extermination. And destroyed the entire thing, creating massive sinkholes all over the planet. Like they 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 ravaged this planet. It's it's mm-hmm. hard to overstate the level of devastation that they brought. But as much as the other council races did not want to do this, they just I mean, they had been fighting for three hundred years. And not once during that time had there been any attempt from the Rachni to contact them in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And so you get into this place where it's like, well, what are you supposed to do? Like, how do you how do you reconcile preserving your own uh, existence with preserving the existence of a species who seemingly exists for the sole purpose of killing you? Like, where do you... Like, how do you make that choice, right? Mm-hmm. It's It's not something that I think that anyone celebrates necessarily no it, it was it was not a joyous occasion uh when the rachni were exterminated i think it was felt that it needed to be done uh for for the good of the council races and, and i mean as they saw it for the good of the galaxy because there were many other races that they had found sentient races that they had found that that were also threatened by this yeah absolutely i mean just because the asari and the salarians were kind of running the show uh doesn't mean that they didn't have others that they needed to 
uh, look after, to protect, mm-hmm. uh, that they felt a responsibility for. Yeah. And so they followed through. There was a listening post that was left just in case they had missed someone, something mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. But we haven't heard from the Rachni since. So as far as, uh, as far as anyone knows, they've been completely exterminated. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Rachni Wars really took some of the polish off of the idea of the galaxy that the Asari and the Salarians wanted to create. They were so committed for those first 500 years to this idea of uh, a parliamentary system of a benevolent government of a spirit of um, compromise of exploration of, of learning of culture. And I think it was really jarring for them to find a race that couldn't fit into that viewpoint for them. Yeah. Not even necessarily through any fault of their own, but possibly because of its own nature, Mm -hmm. um, which is, possibly the hardest thing to to deal with about the whole incident yeah so i i think it was in in some ways a bit of a a maturation of the of the government yeah i i I think uh i think some of the i I think some of the innocence was lost over this incident oh absolutely and um uh but yeah i mean i mean what else were they supposed to do it's they were their their hands were forced it was a matter of their own existence Mm mm-hmm and so I, I I don't know I don't think there's much blame that can be placed on them for what they did and yet I mean what are we going to do celebrate genocide here Yeah I don't know it's 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 a hard one to talk about and I don't really have much more comment than that but I think this is probably a good place to take a break but we are going to come back because just because the Rachni are gone doesn't mean that the council's problems are finished out of this whole incident <laughs> Definitely so not When we come back uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened to uh, to the Krogans after the Rachni Wars. Mm. All right, we're back on HI101 here with Ethan Blesky. Hello. Hello. And we're talking about the Rachni Wars and, uh, and their consequences. When we left off, we had actually just... Uh, we just finished with the uh, the extermination of the Rachni. And it should have been, I, I don't even, as I said before, I don't even necessarily want to call it a celebration necessarily, but certainly a relief that the uh, yeah. the protracted warfare was, was finally over. Dealing with the Krogans at this point, though, was a little bit tricky, to say the least, because yeah. they were brought up for a very particular reason. They were uplifted for a very particular reason. Namely, the survival of the galaxy as the council races saw it. Mm-hmm. But that's really not a thing that the council would normally do. Uh, upon coming across a, a non-spacefaring race, they'd normally uh, observe, but yep. certainly not intervene. Um, that that would be seen as as amoral. If a if a race was uh, sufficiently advanced enough to kind of join the the parliament of the galaxy, if you will, um, then they would be let in on the secret yeah uh but at the point that the krogans were when found by the salarians normally they wouldn't get involved at all Mm -hmm. instead what they did was find a pre-ftl civilization and put them front and center in a galactic war and they kind of had to make amends for that a little bit yeah to the krogans themselves yeah because that's a big ask that's a really big ask so they gave the Krogans all of the planets that the Rachni had colonized. Which was a lot. Which was quite a number. As well as a number of pristine, untouched worlds yeah. on which they could develop new colonies. Because remember, Tachanka is still in the process of being cleaned up, uh, yeah. rehabilitated, if you will. Yeah. And they figured, you know, hey, the least we can do is give them a world that isn't completely broken. Mm-hmm. And the Krogans uh, very much appreciated this. That was a they, they were fine with that. They yeah. were enjoying to some extent their new uh, status as um, as a galactic race. Yeah, uh, as a, as a member of the galaxy and not just their own world. The problem is the exact thing that made them such a, a good solution for the Rachni, which is uh, their birth rate, which we talked about earlier. Now. Because Tichanka had been so harsh, um, they had evolved a much faster birth rate. 
as much as uh, a thousand fertilized eggs per female per year, which is just unthinkable, right? It's it's, an incredible amount. It's insane how fast they can multiply. Um, In the case of the Rachnab Wars, it was really a, a matter of fighting fire with fire. Absolutely. And I mean, the thing about Krogan warfare is that it was not exactly sophisticated tactics brutal well it was brutal but it was also very direct and often involved uh huge numbers of infantry sacrificing them it was it was often victory through sheer numbers rather than Mm -hmm. uh skill not that they weren't skilled fighters but it wasn't necessarily well planned out it was let's just keep sending soldiers until uh the problem goes away yeah so even though they were removed from Tichanka, they were also dying in quick or in in vast numbers during the Rachni Wars. Yes. Now they no longer had either the pressure of the Rachni Wars to keep their numbers down, yeah. nor their traditional environmental um, uh, Th- those factors of the uh, of the nuclear winter and the and the insane predatory. Exactly. Uh, well, I mean, I, I I think sometimes people forget, but the the Thresher Maw. Uh, originated on Tachanka. I mean, it's it, this is a this is a brutal, vicious world, as well as just that many Krogan being in that small an area. They tended mm-hmm. to kind of take care of themselves <laughs> yeah. in a certain <laughs> in a certain way. Now they had the space to expand, and they expanded and very very quickly filled the mm-hmm. initial number of planets that they had been given after the Rachni Wars. Yeah, and didn't really stop. No. And it was concerning for the uh, for the council, obviously. But I mean, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? Yeah, they, they had just made that that giant sacrifice and weren't willing to to start up all over again. Well, also, I mean, they had lost against they or they had been losing against the Rachni. Uh, the Krogans won against the Rachni. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do the rock, paper, scissors math here. Do you think yeah. they want to take on the Krogan? No. Not at all. So they kind of let this go on. I mean, there was definitely a, a, an aspect of appeasement happening here. But at a certain point, the Krogan started moving into territory controlled by other council races. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really not good. That can't happen. Yeah. Finally, in about the year 700 CE, uh, a number of Krogans landed on a world called Lucia that had already been colonized by the Asari. Okay. This is a problem because we know how quickly the Krogan are going to fill up that world. Um, The council asked the Krogan to leave through their representative. Mm -hmm. Um, Talks broke down very quickly. Essentially the Krogan leadership told them, if you want the worlds back, come and get them from us. There was military action against Lucia specifically, and they managed to drive the Krogan settlers off of Lucia. Yeah. Uh, at great cost to the council uh, navy. Yeah. But that was enough to inflame the rest of the Krogan colonies. Yeah. And talks broke down completely, uh, and uh, war was declared between the council and the Krogans. Mm-hmm. The Krogans did not know at this point in time because it was still a it was still actually a a secret initiative. But the um, the Solarian Special Tasks Group, the STG, which had yep. been traditionally involved in in things like uh, espionage, uh, sabotage, yep. um, you know, things like that, as well as uh, the Asari um, Huntresses, which is a, a group of elite warriors, had formed uh, what they called the Office of Special Tactics and Reconnaissance. Yes, um, which we know better today as the specters yes uh special spec tactics yep the t and reconnaissance are specter yeah. as soon as war broke out uh the specters hit hard mm-hmm. they went in and virtually every uh krogan world lost their uh lost their internet within minutes of war being uh declared the they uh put viruses like really nasty viruses into oh, the yeah. entire networks that were virtually crippled them digitally yeah and and the krogans weren't sufficiently used to the new technology to <laughs> no they had no to really be they were, they were warriors they weren't technicians krogans aren't traditionally strong at producing scientists and engineers unless they are very specifically concerned with the art of killing 
Hmm. Yeah. Uh, then they produce incredibly proficient engineers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they didn't really know what they were doing with, uh, with fixing all of this stuff up. I mean, they were, uh, you know, the specters were going in and sabotaging antimatter refineries, which both, uh, you know, cripples their ability to conduct space travel, but also like makes a really big explosion when it goes up. Mm hmm. They even went as far as dropping space stations from orbit onto uh, onto it just to just to knock them out. I mean, it didn't matter though. That's the thing. It doesn't matter with the Krogans. There's so many of them. They can they can reproduce so quickly. And, and no matter so what they hardy. did, well, that too. That no matter what they did, no matter how many of them they killed, the numbers kept climbing, which is just it's so daunting. Like how do you how do you how do you fight back against that? Yeah. Again, we have a little bit of a fortuitous discovery around this time, which is um, a race called the Turians. Yes. The Turians had actually been navigating the, the mass relays for some time. Now they just hadn't had, or they just hadn't found one that connected in with uh, council space before this. Oh, okay. So they had their own little empire on their, their side of the galaxy. Yeah. And actually it turned them into a fairly interestingly organized uh, society in that um, when they first opened up these these relays, they formed a number of colonies. But because they were so far removed from one another, they had a tendency to kind of rebel and turn independent. Okay, and this forced a fairly authoritarian government system to go into place. That's uh, based on a very stratified, very hierarchical, uh, um, both military. Like the, the military and the government were basically the same body. Yeah. And it was uh, carefully integrated into uh, civilian life to an extent that it is almost impossible, culturally speaking, for a Turian to defy chain of command. To do so is, is you know, against a social morality in a way that yeah. is, is kind of difficult for us to conceive of, but had, had created a very... I, I mean, I don't want to make them sound like mindless automatons. That's not the Turians at all. We know no, them no, quite no. well. But um, it did make them incredibly effective warriors in that the entire society could be mobilized towards a single goal yes. uh, at an incredibly rapid pace. Mm-hmm. And it also caused them to become relatively brutal warriors. Yes. There is a kind of a, a, a conceptualization of what victory means for Turians which isn't just defeating an enemy in the battle, but also removing his ability to attack ever again. Yes. It is a brutal type of... Hit them of... till they stay down. Exactly. Really. Exactly. And and where the, the Krogans were warriors focused on honor. I'm not going to say that the Turians weren't focused on honor, but Honor that... took a very different form for it the It took Turians, a different form, yeah. When you, look at, when you look at Krogan focus on battle prowess and things like that yeah there's a lot of personal glory that's involved mm-hmm. and beyond personal glory perhaps glory for the clan yeah um but the Whereas... clan is a relatively small unit for the most part yeah and what you get instead with the turians is an almost for the good of the people yeah almost confucian level of societal cohesion where yeah the good of a single individual means nothing compared to the greater good of society mm-hmm. and and the goals of uh, the hierarchy, which is the you know the what they call their their leadership. So yeah. it's a very different type of committed warrior. Yes, but an equally effective one. Mm-hmm. Um, it just tends to come off as a little bit more uh, calculated. I guess is a is a better way to put it. It's very regimented. It's very um, uh, controlled. Yeah, and it was probably closer aligned to the to the interests of the of the council and the way that the rest of the way that the Asari and Salarians thought than the, uh, than the Krogan. I mean, the, the Asari and Salarians still saw the Turians as a little, again, I hate, I hate to use the the word brutal, but well, no, but it was an extension. I feel of their own philosophies. It it was, it was was taken to the extreme. Yeah. It was, it was much more closely aligned. Yes. It's a far more direct form of Mm -hmm. combat than, than either the Asari or the Salarians prefer. Yeah. But they kind of needed it at the time. And so uh, they, they did ask, or they did extend an olive branch to the Tyrians and ask them to help with this, uh, this Krogan threat. And they actually uh, offered at the time uh, a seat on the council if they were able to, um, 
help them remove the uh yeah the, the krogan threat which the turians were very interested in i mean they had already set up something of uh it wasn't the same as the council but it was it was it was nearing the same dimensions at this point in time yeah. and they saw it as much more beneficial to work with the council races than it was to go to war with the council oh absolutely um so the now something had just occurred to me and i wasn't sure um <laughs> did the rachni clash with the turian empire at all no because uh, not were, empire hierarchy they no because they had only connected into into the same uh mass effect relays as the uh yeah well i mean the thing to remember about a, okay. a relay is that there are two types there's primary and there's secondary primary are uh much longer distances okay they can go up to several thousand light years yeah they're whereas, the main corridors exactly whereas the secondary ones can connect to a number of different ones they're not yeah just paired but they have a much shorter distance they uh you know maybe well i mean relatively speaking it's only yes. you know only a couple hundred light years right <laughs> um so what you what you end up uh, what you end up with is that if there isn't a connection somewhere along the way you can't just kind of connect into yeah. uh, another part of the network you have to form each step of that chain yeah um one relay can't take you anywhere in the galaxy uh it has to take you to uh, a paired uh, a paired relay okay so because the arachni were paired into the um the council relays, but mm -hmm. the Turians had not yet made contact with the council races. Therefore, the Rachni could never move into Turian space. Yeah, so I just wasn't sure if they had found a no or expanded far enough in the network to find a connection into the Turian. No, they area. didn't seem to really open that many relays. I don't think they ever really found out how okay to properly do so. Okay, yeah, um, they mainly uh, made use of the already open relays. Yes, and that's actually something I forgot to mention about the Rachni. Was actually uh, after after that war, there was a prohibition on opening new relays, which yes. is part of the reason it took so long to find the Turians because. Uh, all of a sudden they became a cautionary tale of what happens when you open a relay and go through and mm -hmm. don't know what's on the other side. So to open a new relay became a very risky thing um, and one not done lightly. In general, one not done at all. Yeah. But anyway, we, we, we got a little off track there. The the Turians agreed to help the Krogans. And I mean, the, the council races really didn't mind offering sort of a, a seat on the council to the Turians because... In their minds, uh, they were more advanced than most of the other races they had found anyway, having yeah. already established their own network of, of relays. Yeah. So it, it really seemed like a win-win for everyone involved to uh, to bring the Turians into the Krogan conflict. Mm -hmm. The Krogans, with typical brutality of, of tactics, opened their salvo against the Turians once they realized what was going on yeah. by... Uh, obliterating three different planets by slamming asteroids into them yes. from orbit making yeah. them completely uninhabitable and killing everyone on the planet if they had done that to any of the other races that we're talking about today probably would have been talking about a very different story mm -hmm. the turians are not the race to do this to no they, they wouldn't take that lying down uh if anything you immobilize them with more motivation than they had had when they were doing it for for less personal reasons now yeah. it was personal now they had attacked turian society and the turians were no longer just kind of guns for hire yep they were utterly they were in the war they were totally and utterly committed this was total warfare on a level that makes the the human total warfare that we talk about uh seem you know, completely pale in comparison. Well, I mean, the Spectres could employ tactics on the Krogans that they couldn't employ on the Arachni because they, they weren't close enough to what we define as sentience with, with the communication and everything. They could they could definitely uh, demoralize the troops and all of that as sure. well. Yep. As well as uh, incredible weaponry. Absolutely. That they brought to bear. Yeah, the, 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 Turian, uh, the Turian fleet was also just miles ahead of anything that the solarians or the asari had at oh, this yeah. point in time uh it, incredibly advanced very mm -hmm. uh very heavily armed very heavily armored mm -hmm. um much better than anything that the krogan had i mean really at this point in the war the only advantage that the krogans have are their numbers mm -hmm. it's a huge advantage they can you know they, they can reproduce at a rate of a thousand to one of every, every other race in the galaxy yeah now this is this is the part in the story where cultural misunderstandings and desperation kind of 
mix to uh, once again take us a little bit further away from the black and white decisions. Yeah. Because around the time that the Turians had entered the war, Solarian scientists had been working on their own potential end to this conflict, uh, namely, well, a deterrent. They created a genetic mutation. Yep. Let's call it what it is, a biological weapon called the genophage. Yeah. Uh, which would um, theoretically mutate Krogan genes on like a cellular, a cellular level. Yeah. So that every Krogan affected by this would be completely and utterly infected to cut their birth rate to or, or by a thousand. Yes. And it, and it did it in a, in a kind of a, horrible way which is that it complete didn't actually neural failure hmm? complete neural failure yes but i mean it wasn't even as though the krogans that were infected that one uh, you know 999 out of a thousand became uh infertile it was that everyone was still fertile but only one in a thousand fertilizations was successful yes the others were either unsuccessful or stillborn yeah which is horrifying yes the solarians never intended to use this what they decided to or the, the reason that they created this was basically to threaten the krogans with it mm -hmm. to say that they were going to deploy it if they didn't end the war the turian leadership found out that the solarians had this and almost by force got their hands on the genophage. Yeah. And they deployed it. No warnings, no threats, no offers of uh, surrender. They just did it. The Turians don't believe in defeating in this one battle. They believe in making sure that an enemy can never attack them again. They, they, they fought all of their battles at once. They deployed on Tachanka using the Shroud, which was cleaning the atmosphere for the Krogans and thanks for their service during the Rachni Wars. Uh, other planets, it was deployed through the atmosphere yeah. to make sure that all Krogans were infected. Yeah. And they sufficiently uh, attacked a high enough percentage of, of the population that effectively there were no more uh, traditionally successful uh, Krogan births. Uh, after this point in time it was deployed in about 710 ce yep and the numbers on uh on the krogan population plummeted after this yes krogan tactics didn't change immediately so i mean they continued to take massive losses during their uh mass infantry attacks mm -hmm. but now they didn't have the numbers to support that replenish yeah yeah by about eight, by about eight hundred CE, the bulk of the Krogan forces had either been destroyed or had surrendered mm -hmm. in some capacity. I mean, there were still outbreaks of war for the next hundred years, but but they were quickly put down. Well, I I, I mean, it, it took another hundred years of of suppressing rebellions here and there. I mean, you can't really call the Krogan rebellions over until about nine hundred CE or so. Okay, but I mean, as a people, they were just so demoralized by what had happened. I mean, mm -hmm. I. I I can't imagine the the level of betrayal that they felt at this point in time. I mean, this is the thanks that they get for saving the galaxy from the Rachni threat. Mm -hmm. The Turians are unapologetic. They believe that they did what they had to do to protect the galaxy from yeah. the Krogan threat. Uh, the Solarians feel that it's not that the, not their fault that it was used. They developed it but never intended to use it. Yeah, and uh, the Asari, for their part, feel that they had very little to do with any of this. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of condemning the actions of both, but really not doing anything to help the situation. No. Turians were made council members uh, around the same time that the rebellions ended. Yeah. Again, 900 CE or so. And uh, the Krogan birth rate stabilized at about one female a year. Now, there are a number of ways to look at this again, because on one hand, the council is looking at this going, this is the birth rate of all the other council races. More or less. Yeah. You're fine. But they just weaponized genetic engineering. Mm -hmm. They just altered the entire biology of an entire species. Yes. As normal as that may seem as a birth rate to most of the other council races, 
uh, it was a devastating blow to the lifestyle, to the 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 very nature that the Krogans were used to. Mm-hmm. And so, again, on one hand, do you need to morally defend the actions necessary to protect yourself from annihilation? On the other hand, is the weaponization of genetic engineering is what could essentially be described as eugenics mm-hmm. ever justifiable? I mean, for for my part, I, I am am strongly against the idea of eugenics, which I don't think is necessarily a, a controversial opinion. <laughs> no, but I don't know. I, I I I'm not sure if I would necessarily be. Uh, able to make the same sort of statement if I was the one facing annihilation by masses of Krogan uh, soldiers. Absolutely. I think that's probably where we're going to leave the story today because, I mean, that's that's sort of what sets up the, the galactic politics between um, the major council races and the Krogan uh, and is sort of the place that the, the, um, the discovery of the Rachni uh, over 2,000 years ago kind of that's kind of where that story ends. It's sort of culminated in that, yeah. Yeah. And I know it's a downer. Like, I know it's a downbeat that we're ending on here. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't I don't really know what else to say about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Like, how how do you how do you how do you reconcile um allowing because this is the same decision as they had to make with the with the Rachni, right? How do you reconcile uh allowing someone to follow their biological imperative with the need to protect your own survival. I mean, the whole reason that we have a galactic council is to make those kinds of decisions together. Right. For the good of the, of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's up to any one person, up to any one species of the galaxy to make that kind of decision. Right. And and so honest honestly, I think I think it should have been put before the council. Right. Before it was implemented. And if the council agreed with it, I mean then there's very little that I could do or say. Well, and that's the interesting thing about what happened there is that the the official story of, of what's happened here is that the Turians um claim that they were asked to do whatever it took to to end the conflict mm-hmm. and they did so yep uh the solarians are claiming that even though they developed it uh they had no intent to use it yeah which i don't know if that's true i mean it's very convenient to pin it on the turians mm-hmm. um and the asari are saying they had no knowledge of what was happening uh with either of them yeah which again is very convenient for them yeah it's really easy to say oh these guys are the new kids in the town they didn't know or they don't know how things work around here mm-hmm and and call it a day but i mean well, i mean does that justify it i don't know i'm not expecting you to really have an answer on that yeah. one either but it's a tough one it's it's certainly it's certainly understandable how how the krogans have gotten to the point they're at today where they're essentially they, they've essentially become a nihilistic uh species they're mm-hmm. committed to the idea that they're dying out and that um it's everyone else's fault yeah um and part of that is their warlike nature i'm sure if uh i mean it has been suggested that if they were more committed to changing the cultural practices of their species and and spent less time going off alone to to work as mercenaries they might be doing a little bit better mm-hmm. but i mean why are we blaming the krogan for not changing their ways after they've been uh, attacked in that fashion uh this this entire story is about cultural differences and and different ways of thinking though between uh the different species irreconcilable ways of thinking which is the most fascinating part mm-hmm. so i don't know i'm not sure what the moral imperative is there anyways that's not really for us to decide with history. It's interesting to kind of speculate about. Yes, but yeah, I mean, our, our our story is finished at this point. So yeah. uh, I think that's uh, I think that's the best place to wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Any other questions or or comments that you can think of on this topic? No, no, no. I think we've covered it. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. 
so April Fools, I suppose. Uh, this isn't real history, and I really hope that me telling you now isn't news. Um, if you have no idea what we've been talking about in this episode, but still stuck around to listen to all of it anyway, which would be very impressive, uh, we decided to do a shorter episode based on the Mass Effect video game, sort of like last year we did uh, an episode based on Star Wars. Um, for the purposes of the podcast, we decided to disregard anything that happens in the games themselves, focusing on background, as <clears throat> a number of plot points involve the player making decisions about the morality not only of exterminating the Rachni, but also of curing the Krogan genophage. We chose this topic because, even though it's clearly a sci-fi story, many aspects of it recall very familiar themes of our history. Genocide, eugenics, total war, asymmetrical cultural contact... All very real things that, when presented in the game, have the benefit of being framed as a historical hypothetical to make it a little easier to consider. I'm in the process of writing a bit more about my thoughts on using fiction to examine historical morality, which should be posted to the website shortly. Of course, we also recorded a show for you about real human history that actually happened, uh, with no space aliens, um, specifically about communism. I'm not 100% sure yet when that will be posted, but again, should be up in the next couple of days, as soon as I'm finished editing it. I hope you enjoyed messing with the format a little bit, and we'll see you soon with the next episode.